Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Father in heaven, thank you for your word given to us in your only begotten Son, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, everything that points to our Lord Jesus. We ask you truly, Lord, to give us eyes to see what otherwise we would not see and give us courage to follow you boldly on mission, boldly into healing, boldly after you and your love. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Well, happy Father's Day again. Welcome. It is the fourth Sunday of ordinary time. Do you feel ordinary yet? Or do you feel extraordinary? It's not a trick question, but it could be. I never know. They'll ask it. It may, may not be. 
Well, remember, we're in a series about becoming a people. We're following the nation of Israel and their story, specifically the story of the monarchy. Story of, no, they don't need a king. Yes, they get one. His name is Saul. We find out what happens to him tonight. And on and on and on. And asking ourselves, what can we glean from Israel's story as we become St. Bartholomew's? What lessons can we learn? What is the Spirit trying to say to us as we, after one more Sunday, will officially be this people after this long road? Do you feel like you've been running a marathon and you've fallen? And your friend Jay, who's watching you at mile 26.1, because that's where I would be, comes out and we, you know, we go together, we cross the finish line together. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Um, but that's, it's been a long road. It's been a long journey. And that's the nature of life. That's the nature of what God's good and deep work in us is. It's oftentimes painful. It's oftentimes, uh, we oftentimes misunderstand it. Sometimes we find ourselves fighting against God because God has told us something. He's called us a certain way or he's shown us how broken we are, how wounded we are. He's shown us, hey, you are pregnant with pain. That guy, when he said that, he was right. And we see this ironic invitation down this long, dark pathway, and we realize it's the pathway to the cross. But we know that through the cross lies resurrection. And we remember that Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. And so we have this beautiful resonance tonight. I love, the scriptures are beautiful. Did you know that? that it is, it's one whole story. There are a lot of books in it. I know that there are 88 keys to the piano, and I think there are 66 books in the Bible, but they all, I know there are, that they all work together. They all point to our Lord Jesus. And it's beautiful when we have these moments when it, it resonates with itself, when Scripture does. Do you know what I mean when I say resonate? Do any of you know music at all? So if I were to step over to this beautiful Steinway Grand Piano, and I were to play a, the note C... What you can't see, no pun intended, is there's an, there's an overtone series, there's an inharmonic series by which sound waves travel through the air. And so when I punch the note C, all the other notes that have the same overtone series as C are going to very lowly and very quietly resonate. Now if I play another C, it's going to double that resonance. And another one, if I play other, other notes in that chord, or in that scale, in that overtone series, it gets louder and louder and louder. And tonight, we hear and see Samuel, who's been lulled to sleep by the monarchy. Already, already Samuel? The same one who, when the people of Israel came to you and said, we want a king. What did Samuel say? Listen, you get a king, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take your servants, he's going to take your kids, and he's going to take your donkeys to boot. He's going to send them to war you're going to be his slaves. And now Saul's been king. He's won some battles. But Saul has taken things into his own hands. And specifically in a battle with the Philistines, Saul is waiting for Samuel. They're not supposed to fight until Samuel comes and sacrifices before the Lord. This is in 1 Samuel 13. And Samuel is supposed to be there on the seventh day, and Samuel's still not there. And Saul says, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to take this into my own hands. And this is worth reading to you because we can learn something from this as we're becoming a people. If you have a Bible, 1 Samuel 13, if you don't, don't worry, it's not in your bulletin. Maybe you have a phone. Some phones have Bibles on them now. 
Saul sees that the people are scattering. They, the people have their king. They want to fight for their king. But they really want the priest to be there to sacrifice. Because they know that, what did Psalm 20 say? Some may trust in chariots. Some will trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Saul knows this. And Saul says, 1 Samuel 13, middle, midway through verse 11. When I, he's explaining himself to Samuel. When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at, at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered their burnt offering. He knew he shouldn't have done it. But in order, remember last week, Israel's search for legitimacy? The reason they wanted a king in the first place? Because we want to be like all the other nations. They have kings. Why can't we have one to rule us? Saul, in this moment, instead of trusting God, instead of waiting on the Lord, I waited patiently on the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the miry place, says Psalm 40. Instead of embodying that spirit, that obedience, that heart, like is God's, Saul instead forces himself. He does what Moses did in the desert at Meribah. He struck the rock, not once, but twice. He takes matters into his own hands. Friends, as we become St. Bartholomew's, no matter what happens, we must follow the Lord. We cannot take matters into our own hands. We cannot manhandle things. We have to follow his vision, his plan, his leading, his counsel. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Whoa. Saul didn't know how big that was. Verse 14, this is what I want you to hear. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. And so the people of Israel now find themselves in a place where even their king will not obey the voice of the Lord. And this is where we find ourselves tonight. Samuel is weeping. He, he is sad over, Saul, over God's rejection of Saul. And we see this mis the mystery of God's will that God regretted that he had made Saul king. That's hard to fit into our categories, isn't it? If God knows everything, how could he have regretted that he made Saul king? It's part of the inscrutable or mysterious will of God. That's part of that mystery of who he is and trusting in the love that undergirds that, the love that Chris just prayed about. It's the love that, as we sing about, that's the love that we stand upon. And for us, for those of us in Christ, it's the love that God would promise to David in 2 Samuel 7. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Don't leave. Be here for that. He says, my sure love is promised to you, David, so that one of your line will always sit on my throne. Hint, it's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And that anointed love, that peace, 
that comes to the children of God, the liberty and the freedom that the sons and daughters of God can live in only comes to us. And so we see David now coming on the scene. Now Saul, Saul has been rejected by God. God says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over him? And he sends Samuel where? To a little town called Bethlehem. Now this is before Bethlehem became a tourist trap. <laughs> before it was really on the map. There was a man, Jesse, there with lots of sons. And the first thing that we notice, and as I was studying this week, when you preach a lot, you think to yourself, okay, I don't always have to go for the, the verse that everybody knows, the verse that we always want to talk about, but I can't get away from it. So the thing that I want us to hear tonight as we learn about becoming a people, as we learn about becoming St. Bartholomew's, is we must see as God sees. So Samuel goes to the village of Bethlehem. The, the elders of the town are freaking out because they don't know if this is the next Sodom and Gomorrah. They don't know what's happening. It's okay. I'm here to sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, thank God. Where's Jesse? He's over here. Bring him. Bring his son. So there they go. Verse 6 of uh, 1 Samuel 16. That's in your bulletin. When they came, they looked on Eliab. Oh, Eliab, the oldest. Man, maybe they called him El? Eli. Maybe they called him Eli. And there he was. And Samuel said to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Samuel had been lulled to sleep by Saul's rule and reign. Look what verse 7 says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on, his, on the height of his stature, because I have rejected them. him. Period. Stop right there. Same phrase when Samuel is boohooing over Saul's rejection, God says, hey, listen, I have rejected him. Remember the description of Saul? He was very tall. He was literally head and shoulders above everybody else. He's very handsome. And he came from a wealthy family. This is 1 Samuel 9. So he has all the stuff. He's got the mojo. He's got the moxie. He has the charisma. Insert your favorite word for that thing. And Samuel apparently has been lulled to sleep because, oh, well, here's another guy. He's tall. He's handsome. He's the oldest. Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And God says, not because Eliab is a bad guy, not because being tall is wrong or being handsome is wrong or being the oldest is wrong. Those are all good things. If you're tall, handsome, and the oldest... I think about my family. That's a good thing. Live, you know, play that game. Let's roll. But God says, I have rejected him. Because we read earlier, Samuel told Saul, there is a man whose heart is after God's. There is a man who, implication here is, though he may not be perfect, God has seen him. God has seen him. So Samuel is going to see all of his other sons. We'll skip over that, that part of verse 7, though. So he goes through all the other sons. But God tells him, don't look at his outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man who went out to scatter seed. Day and night he does it. And he goes to sleep. And the seed grows imperceptibly. The seed grows in secret. 
He doesn't know how. David was like one of those who was in secret. He wasn't even with the family. He's off tending the sheep. Are you sure all of your sons are here? Well, there is this one guy, little David. He's off with the sheep. We'll call him. Get him here. We're not sitting down until we find the Lord's anointed. Thank, thank you, God, for Samuel. Because do you notice the difference between Saul and Samuel here? He's come all this way to Bethlehem. He's got the stuff. He's sacrificed. He's even consecrated Jesse and all of his sons. Like maybe Abinadab or Shammah. I mean, can we just do one of these guys? But Samuel did not take things into his own hands, but he did what? He listened to the voice of the Lord and he obeyed the Lord and he saw as God saw. Because next thing you know, around the corner comes little David. He was ruddy and his eyes were handsome. Did it say handsome or beautiful? Something. There he was, though. Now, he was ruddy. We think that may mean he had red hair and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said immediately, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, Samuel takes out his horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward for the rest of his days. Can you imagine being there when that happened? The priest of the people of Israel is there. He's passed by all these sons, and this youngest one comes in, and God says, this is the one. And so he takes this holy oil, and he anoints him. And the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon David. Do not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went out and scattered seed. Friends, when God planted us, it was a very similar kind of story. He didn't plant us too soon or too late. He's planted us at just the right time. Moreover, and more importantly, it is his vision. It is his call. I remember when I was talking with some people that were going to All Saints Dallas saying, hey, would you, would you be interested in this church plant in East Dallas? And my, my uh, ultimate, ultimate, my caveat or my, my litmus test always was you have to be called by God. Do you remember that? Some of you, you have to be called because it's too hard to do it because if you're not called, there'll be other stuff to do. Oh, well, it's just easier to go over here or go do this. But if you're called, then you'll obey the Lord. Not that people that didn't come are wrong. They're called somewhere else. But God has called you and others who are not here and others who have never even heard of this place yet. And it makes me think of that, that parable that Jesus tells. Because as God planted us, he planted us in a place that is off the beaten path, didn't he? You know, we're not by a major freeway or even a semi-major thoroughfare like Northwest Highway. We're on Easton Road. And even this place, people know about Central Lutheran, this property, but they can't quite place it. They're like, oh yeah, I know that. I know where that is. That's, um, it's on top of a hill. No. Okay, it's, um, and they'll, you know, they'll name all these other things and I have to correct them. 
So there's something hidden about being here. There's something hidden about being on Sunday nights. It reminds me of of how Mary must have felt after the angel Gabriel spoke to her, after the power of the Almighty overshadowed her, and she has the Son of God in her, and she treasured up in her heart all these things. There is a beautiful, deep work that God is doing in us. When you look at the best soil in your yard, where is it? Not locationally, but like in in the depth. It's never the topsoil. You got to go a little bit deeper. It's unseen. It's under the surface. It's hidden. Do not see, St. Bartholomew's, as man sees. See as God sees. God is inviting us in this next season of our life together as a church to see things as he sees them. Don't see Sunday night as we wish we could be on Sunday morning and, oh gosh, can we just rush through this? See it as an opportunity for growth. Remember that seed has to fall to the ground. The seed has to die. The seed has to be covered up in soil to have a context in which it can sprout, in which it can bring forth life. Don't see as man sees, St. Bartholomew's. See as God sees. That's the first invitation. The second thing that we need to do as we become a people is expect the inscrutable will of God to prevail. Remember, even though God said, okay, if you want a king, here's your king. He gave them Saul. He regretted that he made Saul king. He established and chose another king, one after his own heart. We can't predict that. It's not cavalier. It's not sheer divine caprice. There's a purpose behind it. There's a will behind it. But it is inscrutable, meaning it is mysterious. Meaning, like Isaiah wrote, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our our thoughts. Some questions will never be answered. Some things we will never know. And when we see David's being chosen, David's anointing, it's the beautiful image of God picking someone for himself and saying, "This this is my one. Now, lest you feel left out, I want you to remember that David is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. And in Christ, that same love given to David, the same love that when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and sent her husband Uriah to the front line to be killed, so adultery and murder, God still sheds this love, this forgiveness, because David prays, Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Remember that word last week that we said? That love is chesed. The unfailing love of God. The love of God that nothing can change. The love of God that is the reality on which all of the cosmos are built. Every star, every planet, every galaxy, the pews that you're in, and apparently not those ones with the yellow tape, but all the other pews, they're all established on the love of God. 
That's why we trust the inscrutable will of God. We expect to have questions. doesn't mean we can't ask questions. It's, the Psalms are full of questions. The Psalms written about David are full of questions. But we expect that will to prevail. But lastly, as we see, not as man sees, but as God sees, and as we expect God's will to prevail, as we trust in that, we also want to perceive the imperceptible. Does that make sense? We want, we want to see what can't be seen. And I'm not saying like you've you're got a divining rod and you're going around trying to predict the future, but I'm, you need to expect God to move in ways that you don't expect him to. Remember Samuel, the three, the be ready, be at peace, be expectant, and be present. If the kingdom of God really is like a man going out and sowing seed, and he goes to bed day and night, and it grows because the earth is the context in which it grows, we need to expect God to give the growth. As God draws to himself, as God draws to people to his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as God fills people with his Holy Spirit, we expect God to do things that we've never seen before. I have to tell you, now this is where I have to read off my notes. I celebrate the unseen in us. Let me tell you, I see a lot because I talk to a lot of you. And just as a priest, I do a lot of stuff and I, I know things. But I celebrate the unseen, imperceptible work of God in our midst. What God is doing here is largely hidden. But one day it'll be made manifest. It'll be revealed. I know, about, I know stories of transformation of people who have moved an inch, not a mile or a foot or a yard, but an inch. But I celebrate that transformation that they have experienced because it's happened in a particular context, in a context of deep and rich soil. It's beautiful to me. He's called us into being. He has planted us not too soon, not too late, but at just the right time. And he has done so in fertile soil, that richest soil that we know is hidden, we can't see it with our eyes. And he has called each of us to himself at St. Bartholomew's. Think about your life right now, the hidden work of God that you may not perceive at all, but you know there's something stirring in you. He has you here at just the right time, not too soon, not too late, but at just the right time. And this is his work. I'm a laborer with him in his vineyard, your laborers with him in his vineyard. But I, I pray that as we become a people, as we encounter difficulty, turmoil, and trial, that we'll see as God sees, not as man sees, that we'll expect God's inscrutable will to be accomplished and that we'll expect those imperceptible things, those things that we can't see, to come to light, to come to fruit. And we'll all rejoice when that happens. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you love us more than our words can describe. Thank you that you are for us and not against us. Thank you that you have called us into being as a people, as a church. Lord, we, we lift to you those things that you're doing in us under the surface. Those things that we really don't understand, the pain that we're pregnant with. We lift to you our journeys of healing, and we ask you 
graciously, despite our best efforts to stop you, to continue your work, mending our brokenness, creating community around us, taking those of us who are solitary and putting us in community. We love you, Father, and we thank you so much for your immeasurable, matchless love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.